0: click on how to join and fill out the form their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier happier louder Seahawks change the skyline is etched in my veins you can never put that out
2: no matter how hard it rains on
3: 24th
1: episode of real knock talk I am Brian Nemhauser. You can find me on Twitter at vlogger, and we've got a great show for you tonight. We are going to be talking about your first place Seattle Seahawks dominating the NFC West uh, as of this past week, and for the second time in six weeks, the proud uh, home of a Defensive Player of the Week. And for the third time in six weeks, the proud home of a player of the week, either offense or defense. So something's going right on this team. And we're here to kind of talk about that and a bunch of other things. And in order to do that, let me bring in the boys. Tonight, we got a boys show. We got Jeff Simmons, at Real Jeff Simmons. How is it going, sir?
0: I'm all
2: right, man. The yeah, well, you just brought up crazy. They have three wins and every one of their wins. They have a player of the week. I don't know if I can ever remember any season like that. That's crazy.
1: It It is weird to be this bad on defense and to have two of the six NFC players of the week. That is wild. <laughs> it, it, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to compute that, to be honest. Uh, Nathan Ernst, at Nathan E11 on Twitter. Dude, it's good to see you. Uh, how's your week going? Oh, it's going pretty good. How about yours? Well, you know, it's going pretty well. I I got my booster yesterday. And so I was feeling like more crap than I have uh, in previous uh, vaccine appointments. And but I was going to try to actually get out and hit the golf course because it looked like weather wise, this was going to be the last day for probably ever in Seattle that it was going to be sunny and not rain and like warm enough that I could wear shorts and figured out how to make it happen and then looked at the the weather forecast or like the the weather and it the air quality was so bad that they were pulling personnel off the golf course uh because it was not safe i read somewhere that seattle had the worst air quality of any city in the world today uh proud of that so yeah i would have been a little bit better if i had gotten chance to to experience the outdoors one more time but um we gotta we gotta hunker down dude we're in it for now it's it's where we've the the long summer has ended
3: it's unfortunate it's ending but it's supposed to rain this weekend and i'm looking forward to it uh because yeah the smoke has been really awful
1: yeah no we we definitely need it it's very selfish that i i have been holding on to the the, the sun um as i have but uh it's the right thing. We we got to enter into this dark, cold, wet winter. It's it's what mm-hmm. it's, it's what it's time for. Um so with that in mind, I mean I when I went to the game this weekend, it was so sunny. It was 8 in the mid 80s or something or low 80s. It was crazy mid-October. I literally got like sunburn on my legs from like sitting in the sun in an October Seahawks football game. I that can honestly say that's never happened. And we talked in post-game show about that game. It was like you know it wasn't a rousing victory but it it arguably was the seahawks most convincing victory uh to date uh and i'm curious if either of you have had more thoughts about you know we got to watch the chargers play the broncos you know saw the 49ers lose to the falcons you saw the the rams or lost their left tackle for the season and struggled to to beat the panthers have your feelings about where the Seahawks are uh, changed at all? Nathan, I'll start with you.
3: Uh, I'm not really um, not since I made a, a turn right before the season and, and got on the playoff bandwagon. Um, so no, I, I don't think so. I mean, I've been saying all along that people were too down on this team Um and I think that's definitely been proven right uh we'll see whether they can actually get into the playoffs but um they're in the thick of it right now uh so so no I I mean you know there's some details about this team that have surprised me and that are a little different but on the whole not really
1: yeah Jeff I mean some of the things that came out even in the last few days we talked about just uh Tariq Willem being named Defensive player of the week kenneth walker was up there for uh fedex ground player of the week i don't think he won or i don't know if they've announced it yet and it's been announced that he is despite only starting one game is leading the nfl or close to the nfl lead in mr broken tackles uh boye mafe started to show uh he, he's actually demonstrated some good stuff and started to get some snaps this rookie class, man, like I I tweeted out today that it's not unrealistic that this could be an offensive and defensive rookie of the year class for the Seahawks. And the last team, there's only been two other teams that have ever done that. The last one was the, the saints, uh, and Alvin Kamara, Marcus Lattimore class. And so do you think that this is, is potentially in that class of of rookie uh rookie classes how many times can I say class
2: (laughs) honestly I think the Saints one is really interesting because we talked about it all these years where the Seahawks had bad drafts and we were just like it really just takes one like great draft to kind of turn the whole thing around and what made that Saints draft so good in 2017 they were they were a lot like what the Seahawks were they they just didn't make the playoffs but they're in that same mode where they were missing on draft picks and striking out and they had that one home run draft class And they elevated to contender for like the next three or four years. And what made that class so special wasn't just that there was one or two guys. There was six or seven. Trey Hendrickson who's now the best pass rusher on the Bengals was in there. And I think Marcus Williams, the safety who got paid by the Ravens was in there. And it was just like five guys who were, and completely just changes the flight of a football team because of the cap and because of the talent, how much rookie classes and youth impact how you build teams. And when you look at the Seahawks right now, like this is not one of their just best draft classes in this year. This is one of the best draft classes I think in the whole league in a long time, because it's hard to find t- two to three, like pretty good contributors in a draft class. When you go through the, like the, the amount of people that are contributing where you have two guys in the secondary and, like, you watch Kobe Bryant's film last game, like he was really, really shut. Mm-hmm. Like PFF graded him really highly. He looked like a really strong cover corner. Like we can't say enough about what Woolen's doing. And then Walker is emerging in the tackles who had a down week for sure, but getting all these premium positions. And then like Maffe, who's like a much better run defender. I think Nathan covered, he doesn't have, have like some of the ceilings that some of these other guys do, but he's a solid, solid contributor. So when you go through and you're looking at like two tackles, two corners, which the hardest positions to fill and think about like where this cornerback group was two years ago and where this tackle group looked. And what they can do that in one draft, to me, like the outlook of this team has just remarkably changed because of this one draft class. And we all thought it was like an A minus B plus draft at the time. It's hard not to think it's an A plus draft class right now. And considering the Seahawks, either seem to have absurdly bad drafts or absurdly good drafts. There seems to be no middle ground with them. So,
1: (laughs) yeah, I mean, it's got it's got uh, blue chip ceiling in it, and it's got depth um in terms of talent. And I was looking at the that Saints draft class 2017. And it's interesting because it's also was a different makeup of that draft. So the, the the Saints had two first round picks and three third round picks in that draft. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a second round pick as well. So they went Marshawn Lattimore and Ryan Ramchek in the first round, both great players. Yeah. Uh Marcus Williams the safety, Alvin Kamara so Marcus Williams the safety was their second round pick also a good player. Uh, third was Alvin Kamara, Alex Anzalone, who's a decent linebacker. He's not, um, great, but he started, um, and Trey Hendrickson, as you mentioned, who's been really good. And then the final pick in sixth round was Al Muhammad. I don't think he ended up being something, but, um, it looks like he was a starter, you know, for some period of time, the Seahawks, I mean, their draft this year was one first round pick two second round picks. And then, went from there and, uh, yeah, I think the fact that the best player in the class might be Tariq woolen and he is a fifth round pick, um, some of the value that they got later on some ways is more impressive than, than what that, that saints class was not saying it's better, but I think, uh, what, from what they had to work with, it's pretty impressive. Um, so. I want to switch gears a little bit. We'll come back to that class because there's a lot to talk about there. Uh, something that did happen since we last spoke was the Broncos played the Chargers. I think we got to talk about, did you guys both watch that game? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Holy shit, guys. That was, I, so I've been having this conversation with a few people, like the, when the Chargers played the Colts, like the whole world, the whole Twitter verse and everyone that's a football fan was like, this is awful this is let uh, like uh, I want to poke my eyes out I never want to watch this Jeff and I were like this is the best thing I've ever seen we were in hysterics we were like thoroughly entertained it was just amazing and then I watched that Chargers game and it it, it like jumped the shark for me I was like this is hard to watch I mean both teams were bad and It wasn't just the the defenses being ahead of the offense. It was like, what the hell? I thought Russell, like he started off. I thought it was like, okay, this is the, this is the game where he kind of returns to form and 15 yards in the second half. I mean, Nathan, like how low can it go for that? That Broncos team is it? Do you think there's, there's
3: realistic hope that they're going to turn this around and like gain some momentum? I mean I don't know how it gets a lot worse than 15 yards in the second half. Uh so I think there's probably hope that they can turn it around from that, sure. Um I don't know. This is who Russell has been for a majority of 2 years now. Um he looked uh more like him his kind of peak self at the start of 2021, right? Uh, but then he hurt his finger, um, and was never himself after that. Um, even, you know, obviously the injury played a factor for at least some period of time immediately after he came back. But, um, I think, I don't think his finger is right. Uh, at this point, I don't know if it'll ever be right. It's not killing him. Um, but it's not right. Uh, he, he seemed to be piling up a variety of injuries and he's just not playing like, the injuries are definitely one part of it, but he's also just missing things and and a lot of there's so the the the, the rest conversation is so interesting right now because I think a lot of people are trying to paint this as oh this is who Russ always was mm-hmm. this is who Russ was and it was always it was actually always Pete and and now that he's away from Pete this is this is just what he is this is what he looks like mm-hmm. and like no because yeah he has limitations he takes too many sacks he doesn't throw over the middle as much as he should yada yada right we've talked about it a million times um he doesn't miss pick plays like everyone likes to talk about the second half of 2015 for him that was like a huge portion of that was him nailing pick plays um him and doug killing those pick plays so like for him to just not read that right um you know and just to miss things it's it's uh I don't know what all is going on. I mean, you can look at some of that stuff and say he'll figure some of that out. But like at the same time, I just don't know that he is not just because he can't run the same way anymore, um, but he, he just doesn't seem to have it on any level at this point. And it's it's hard to think that he's going to get back to the point where he's, you know, a top 10 quarterback. Uh, it's, he's so bad right now yeah it's
1: interesting you bring up the the injury stuff i know you and i've kind of gone back and forth on that and i i think i read an article i think it was a pff article i want to i can't remember the name of the guy that wrote it It was a really good article kind of breaking down russ and a little bit about gino and oh yeah it was it was supporting this notion that the finger was a bigger issue than i've given him credit for so definitely like my priors have been that that's not the case um and it feels like an excuse like it feels like convenient that that's come up because he's had good games and then all of a sudden it's an injury issue so in this game was a perfect example that first quarter he started out 10 for 10 or 11 for 11 or whatever it was he made some big plays accuracy didn't seem to be an issue he was throwing the ball with velocity and then he wasn't and and so um uh, and then they come out and they say that he's got a hamstring injury we'll talk about that in a second but like he was running the ball like he was doing read option plays in the second quarter. So I don't understand if he had a hamstring injury, why like they were deploying him as a running player. So there's a lot of stuff that doesn't add up there for me. And it doesn't mean that that the injury is not an issue because it's there's evidence that it is. But it's weird. Like, Jeff, when I look at it, I'm kind of like, uh, is it that the first quarter of that game was Russ was able to find some holes in the chargers defense due to breakdowns and some off schedule plays. And then there just weren't those opportunities. And when they get back to playing reasonable assignment, sound defense, Russ isn't able to, to beat those right now. I mean, what, what's your, what's your kind of analysis of what's going on there?
2: It's it's, there's a lot. And really, if you look at the big play too, that tight end is wide, wide open. Like, he, the, the big, the touchdown, that guy is just sitting on in the middle of the field. Like there was a, like a Freddie Swain play from last year. Like that guy's, but it's just a combination of factors. And obviously quarterback is a big rhythm thing. And we know how well Brandon Staley has done against Russell. And he kind of broke the Seahawks offense a couple of years ago, but it's a, it's a combination of, yeah, I think their injuries do play a factor. I think the coach there is absolutely terrible. I don't think the offensive line is very good. And I don't think Russell's, I think a lot, Russell's a lot of limitations and Dan Orlovsky and Ryan Clark did a really good video on some of the stuff Russell was missing and Nathan sort of touched on it earlier, but a lot of it is basic read stuff. Mm-hmm. And we saw that a little in Seattle. And I don't think the national media knew this as much as kind of we did because they would see him in prime time and they'd see him in the highlights and you'd see the flashy plays he makes. But I don't know if the national crowd has ever watched Russell this closely a lot of the Seahawks teams last few years have just not been a very starstruck. And you kind of see some of the stuff that Russell doesn't do well. And now it's really being amplified. And now people are seeing just that he misses like that one throw over the field, over the middle of the field, and yeah. a tight end runs the stick. And then there's one uh that Orlovsky focused that should have been an easy touchdown if he, he read Judy and he missed the read and stared down the running back. But it's just some weird stuff where like he's dumbing the ball off a lot more on third and long. And that was stuff that always we thought was, like, what is Pete or Shadi doing giving up here? Like, they need to take the dump off out of that offense. I don't know what's going on there. And he just doesn't seem to have comfort level with really anyone. And there's this weird vibe there where, like, the receivers look pissed. Jerry Judy looks pissed off a lot. Like, Mm -hmm. Corbin Sutton isn't – like, Russell had really good chemistry with Tyler Lockett. Him and DK were kind of weird last year. But he just doesn't have that comfort level. And then he's combined – I talk, we talk about it
1: all the time. The impact of coaching in football is massive. And well, that, that guy. Go that ahead. No, finish your thought. Disaster. Well, that's, that's kind of where I was going to go. I mean, I know there's folks that are like, stop talking about Russ. He's not on the team. Let's talk about the Seahawks. And I get it. Honestly, appreciate everyone tuning in. I'm fascinated by this story and what it means for the Seahawks. Like, not just from a draft pick perspective, but from an evaluation of player perspective and evaluation of coach perspective. And so to me, this is a super fascinating and and rare storyline that I think has a lot of impact on this team. And I look at Nathaniel Hackett and I'm like, he's lost that team already. There's like, like the receiver was it Hamler. I can't remember his name that, that threw his helmet after they lost the Colts game. Uh, Jerry Judy's on the sideline with Melvin Gordon, Melvin Gordon's unhappy that he got taken out for Latavius Murray. I uh, like the coach is doing a lot of stuff that I think is losing that locker room. Russ is contributing to it. Russ and the coach are inextricably linked. And meanwhile, in Seattle, we've got Geno Smith, who was no more well thought of than Drew Locke heading into this season, who's performing pretty well, like really well in some cases. And it does beg the question of like, um high level how like is that Broncos team going to are they going to be in sell mode like if they lose one more game are they going to be selling at the trade deadline and could this really go the Seahawks way could this legitimately be a top eight pick is that possible um I have trouble believing that they will and Nathan I saw you shaking your head so like I want to know what was going on in your mind when when I said that
3: yeah I mean they just they won't for two reasons. One, there, there's no advantage in it for them. Um, <laughs> you know, if they start selling guys uh, and, tra- and you know, try to tank a little bit, then, I mean, they don't have a pick. <laughs> um, so that's a pretty big deterrent. Uh, the other thing is I think the defense is just too good. Um, like, you know, we were looking at the Seahawks offense and saying, wow, if they could just get a little better on defense, they could be doing something. I think Broncos fans are probably looking at it the same way and say, wow, if they could, if Russ could just get back a little bit, uh, you know uh, we could be okay so I'd be really surprised if they decide to sell is that your thought Jeff yeah their, their defense is really
1: good like mm-hmm.
3: it's crazy
2: like they're the way Russell's playing and they're they're in every game it's because of how good that defense is I and mean, yeah, and they have a new owner and it's a first-year coach and just from like a optic standpoint it's so hard to imagine them selling it's there's almost no benefit to it, and it's, if anything, it's going to be hard for like, they're going to have to do everything to try to justify it. The trade they made, they're going to have to do everything to do to justify it. the contract they gave out. Like I, I thought the timing of that contract was curious and now it looks more curious, mm-hmm. but they, yeah, they're, they're in a dark, deep hole right now. And like, I don't see them trying to sell, like trying to sell. I don't think that they're going to have a long view on this.
1: Well, and I think you got new ownership as you, I think you mentioned and, and I don't think that they're going to be super into that the interesting piece is what seems pretty certain is Hackett's not going to make it, um, whether it's within the season or after the season and stories are already coming out about Sean Payton and, and, and there's, there's some people saying like, coaches won't want that position with Russell locked up, um, from a contract perspective. And so now like. That team not only might have gotten the worst end of this trade, which is now being considered like maybe one of the most lopsided trades in NFL history, which I'm not ready to say that, but there are people already bringing that up. Um, Herschel Walker level like trade um, uh, thievery, but they might not be able, they talk about quarterback purgatory. Quarterback purgatory is when you can't find your quarterback and you have to keep looking for others. They might not even be able to get out of this and it might just be like they might be stuck for t- till 2026 before they can get out of the cap situation so i don't know Th- this this could be <laughs> this could really 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 screw that franchise and honestly i'm here for it like i always hated the broncos so uh anyway enough on. about the broncos i'm really curious i'm cheering like hell for that draft pick to keep going up and up and up the draft board. It would be the both draft picks, first and second. Uh, that is a undercurrent to this season that, that to me is more meaningful than what the Seahawks do, Uh, like I, maybe that's blasphemous, but like, I am much more focused on how high their draft picks can be and then how much the development can be on this team. So let's talk about the Seahawks a little bit. One of the things that changed last week is the defense held an offense to three points. (laughs) They <laughs> went under 400 yards, which is like not a high bar. Um, we heard some talk, uh, guys, about some changes, some changes to the way they were playing. Nathan, I'm going to give you a very special opportunity here to talk about what kind of front that the that the Seahawks line is playing and and why that matters.
3: Yeah, so they they switched to uh, back to uh, using more of a bare front. Um, honestly, I mean, like I I'm not gonna pretend to understand all the schematic impl- implications of it, but they were running more straight three, four and like rate, right, like four, two, five nickel stuff. um and again, I I don't understand like exactly why it makes such a big difference between these fronts, but they were getting, murdered in in what i mean obviously what they were doing the first two weeks and the bare front allows them to i think play more one gap maybe um where they're they're you know uh attacking the gap uh on either side of the blocker instead of trying to two gap and and hold things and just getting driven back and and not getting any kind of penetration just to
1: make sure people follow because not everyone's so like two gap is if you're a defensive lineman, the guy that you're matched up against, you're basically gr- trying to grab hold of that guy head on, knowing that you're responsible for the both the left and the right side of that player. And so if the running back's coming through or something that you want to toss him, shed him to go to one side versus the other, one gap is you're basically picking a gap. That's your gap. You own it. You penetrate into it and try to like disrupt. Is that is that a reasonable explanation or?
3: Yeah, that's right. So if you think about the gap as being on either side of the offensive lineman, if you're two gapping, you're responsible for both sides. So you have to wait and read and make a decision, because if you commit one way or the other, you're going to get yourself out of position. But like you said, if you're one gapping, you're only responsible for one of those gaps. So you can be more aggressive in in attacking that hole um, and and trying to disrupt. Um, And and the bare front apparently allows them to do that a lot more um it's something that they were using quite a bit last year actually so uh you know ken norton uh or pete uh had kind of figured this out a little bit and was using it and for whatever reason they thought they could get away with doing some other stuff this year and it clearly didn't work and so they went back to it um now they were they seem to have I got the impression they didn't have a lot of respect for this Cardinals offense. Um, So we'll see what they think that they can do and that they want to try against the chargers. Um, But at least for one week, it seemed to really help them just get more sound across the board and be more aggressive and actually make some plays instead of just standing there and getting blown off the ball. Every play. Jeff buying
1: or selling on the Seahawks defense not being uh able to hold team to three points but do you think that this team is progressing even in the front seven and some of these scheme changes to where it's reasonable expect they might be able to hold an offense like the chargers under 25 points is that like is that is that a reasonable thing to think or is that still like yeah i don't buy it i'm cautiously optimistic because
2: still a big picture I don't think they're going to be a good defense by any means I still think there's limitations in their talent level but one of the things going into the year I was sort of optimistic and just thought I thought the front would be pretty competent. and seeing guys like Puna and Monet and Quentin Jefferson and Shelby Harris like I looked on paper and I thought okay like that's a solid group I think Mike Clay grades all the groups graded their interior defensive line pretty good and I think they did switch something. That, like, you saw Puna look like a totally different player. And it might just be Arizona's line is really bad. But they can figure out how to use a guy like Puna, how to use a guy like Harris and Jefferson where they're competent players. Like, Brian Monet had the best game of his career last week. I don't know if you can expect that. Mm. But he, like, you didn't even notice how Wood's being out because of how good Monet was. But I did think this defensive line was going to be fine this year. If they've switched something schematically that can make them fine – I think that'll be a big help because I think we watching the film the first few weeks and especially in the run defense, how bad their defensive line was. That was the shocking part. Like I didn't expect that Cody Barton to be good. And some of their corners I expect to be limited, but if their defensive line could be competent, I think that I can be cautiously optimistic. They're going to get better. But I still think the pass rush, I don't know if they'll get six sacks every week and things like that, but I know their defensive line can hold in base and can be effective and Puna Ford can flash up field, things like that. I think they can be a lot more competent.
1: Speaking of Cody Barton, he had he was the biggest change from a lineup perspective. My my reading between the lines of what Pete said after is that that was situational relative to this matchup, not necessarily a cl- like Pete was pretty open about the the way that they're playing on the defensive line was going to change and that it quote matched their personnel more, and so that seems like something that's going to continue the Barton Barton went from playing. I mean, he averaged 85% of snaps in the first five games, and he played 39% of the snaps in this game Sunday. Um, so more, more Josh Jones, more Ryan Neal sliding forward um, in the linebacker role, which is supposed to be Jamal Adams role. I'll be curious to see how that goes, because they took a linebacker off the field against a team that was actually trying to run quite a bit and held up other than you take away. The, I mean, Kyler Murray had all his quarterback runs, but like the actual design runs, Arizona was not moving the ball um, that way. So. Uh, it could be the best of both worlds to get more, more coverage players on the field um, and still be able to defend the run. And I'm really that to me, that's one of the things to watch this week against the Chargers. Like you've got a couple decent tight ends, at least, um, you know, uh, Gerald Everett uh we'll see how that goes uh and then uh Donald Parnum is that his name so he He is playing he was back on the field that game oh really yeah yeah yeah, he he did get hurt but was back on the field that game and and from an injury report perspective looks fine yeah do we know so like the other thing going on here is Keenan Allen um for this week is, is is kind of a big yes or no He's been out for a while. There was word that he could be coming back this week. The big issue is that the week after this is the bye week for the Chargers. I've been joking, but honestly, like how many times have we seen teams take a star player that's on the cusp of coming back a week before the bye and say, you know what? We're just going to play it safe and hold him for the bye. I mean, Nathan, is that where do you have any guesses on how that's going to play out i mean i agree
3: but i would say the one thing is i mean looking at the standings so i guess i guess there's not a ton of pressure on the chargers like they're going to want to keep up with the chiefs um but obviously not getting pressured much from either the broncos or the raiders so yeah i think that's probably likely um especially with his history. I feel like he's just always hurt with something or other. So, um, yeah, give him the extra time, Jeff. I mean, you,
1: you've been following the Chargers pretty closely. They opened this game as eight and a half point favorites. That's huge. That's like massive, massive. I think it's down to five and a half to six and a half, depending on which book you're looking at. Do you, with the state of the chargers as they are now, does that spread make sense to you? Is that like what you expected?
2: No, that seemed really high to me. Um, I know we talked a lot about Denver. The thing when I watched that game on Monday, uh, I was kind of blown away by how how average or below average even the Chargers looked. And I bet—I'll be so honest—I bet on them to win the Super Bowl. Like I looked at that roster, and I probably shouldn't have bet on Brandon Staley And uh, knowing the Chargers' history, I probably shouldn't have made that bet. But they haven't really played a good game this year, and they without Keen Allen, they got a really strange offense right now where they just don't have a lot of speed like watching Justin Herbert who's like one of the best like downfield throwers one of the best most electric playmakers You watched him play last year he was gunning the ball over the field you watch them play this year it's all dump offs, it's all short passes to tight ends they just don't have downfield speed and on defense they benched their like 18 million dollar corner last week and they made some good adjustments but they I think they're four and two this year but they haven't really played well so I was, I thought the spread would be closer to like five and a half, maybe six. And I think the lines already moved that way. And I listened to a podcast where it's like a couple of professional betters talk about where like the sharps are betting on apparently all the sharps saw that and all bet big money on the Seahawks immediately. They didn't have. So I don't know if that means anything, but I think the line, I think they were kind of, from what I understand, I think the odds makers haven't had a good read on the Seahawks yet like last week on that show, they were saying it was insane that the Cardinals were favored. They thought it was absolutely insane. And that show keeps talking about how like, the Seahawks are better than people think. So their view is the, the bookmakers don't have a read on the Seahawks yet, and they're still recovering from preseason expectations.
1: Yeah, I'm actually going to look that up in a second. But I, like, I, I would really be curious about the Seahawks record against the spread right now. Um, and uh, I'll try to look it up quickly. But um... – uh let's see if they've got it here anyway I'll, I'll find it but i agree with you i don't think anyone knows what to make of the seahawks <laughs> and so like if i was a better like i'd be putting money on the seahawks pretty regularly and they also have been a little hard to predict because they were scoring 48 points and 32 points and then they scored 19 and and like it was a struggle against the cardinals who have not been a great defense the chargers not only might not have Keenan Allen don't have their starting left tackle. Who's out for the year. Don't have Joey Bosa and are, uh, without their kicker who <laughs> was the reason they won. So we just saw last week what not having a kicker can do. They started going for it a lot on fourth down and for Arizona that didn't really work out for Arizona. Don't know how that's going to go for the Seahawks, right? Like, I don't know if I feel better. Brandon Staley goes for it fourth down more than any other coach in the NFL. I think like Nathan, do you think it's good news or bad news that the chargers don't have their kicker and maybe more likely to go for it on fourth down against the Seahawks defense?
3: Uh, with how much Brandon Staley already will go for it. Um, I don't know that he's missing a lot of opportunities where he should be going for it and he's kicking instead. And so maybe not having a kicker makes him go for it in situations. Like it moves that line into what would normally be bad decisions, Um, which may make sense considering they don't have a kicker, but may not really be a great play. So uh, I think it actually could be Good for Seattle. I mean, obviously, you know, Hopkins is a pretty good kicker. They're without a good player, so that's always beneficial. And then yeah, it could could change the decision making for the worse.
1: By the way, the Seahawks are three and three against the spread this season. Uh, so I guess that makes some sense. They were uh I think the only game they were favored in was against the Falcons at home. And they lost that one and they <laughs> lost the uh Saints game by more than by seven points, um, even though it felt closer. To- than that. Um, yeah, so uh, we should probably start taking some Patreon questions soon. Nathan, if you wanted to check for those. Um, sure. If folks haven't already, please give the show a like, uh, click subscribe, click the bell to get notified when we go live. Uh, head over to patreon.com slash blogger, get immediate access to the slack channel. We've got an awesome, friendly, uh, funny community there. People are really, you know, great to meet great to get along with great to talk Seahawks with and proceeds go to to great causes so it'd be great to have you all join perfect time to do it and this is a fascinating fascinating seahawks season um all, all sorts of subplots to to follow along with that we'll we'll be talking about along the way uh yeah so what's what's on the docket um from a patron question standpoint
3: ah um So Silk wants to know, have your expectations outlook for this team changed? So I think we went through this on the post-game pod, and you both had them winning two more games um, than the original uh, prediction. Um, So I think it's fair to say that we were definitely uh, more optimistic about this team. Um, Then Jason A. wants to know, uh, you get to trade away one player not named Sidney Jones for a 2023 pick for the deadline. Who are you trading and what's the compensation you'll get back? Uh, Brian, let's go to you first. I
1: mean, Artie Burns is in an option i think corner is a deep position you're going to be getting trey brown back hopefully that was some of the news that came out today we'll we'll see if pete's just uh overly optimistic again uh i mean i would be happy to trade cody barton but i don't think that they will <laughs> and i don't think, I don't think you're getting would pick him up for that either Uh i think from a receiver standpoint pretty much almost anybody other than the top two, I'd be open to, to moving and, um, and then maybe, maybe the one that could possibly garner some kind of reasonable compensation would be Gabe Jackson. Uh, I think there's some contract issues there, but you know, could you get a sixth round pick for a starting offensive guard for a team that really needs it? Maybe. So, I don't think I don't think anyone on the Seahawks is gonna fetch more than at best a six round pick. I'd be shocked. Um, anyone that they'd be willing to
3: trade. Jeff, do you have anyone that uh you would trade the Brendan name?
2: Not really. Gabe Jackson was the one I was thinking, but I think it's contra. I think the Seahawks are really tight in the cap right now. And I don't think he's movable until next year. So um really no, not really. They they're a pretty limited team in terms of depth and I don't think these corners who are like their fourth and fifth corner are going to fetch much like they were available in free agency and no one really went after them. So
3: no, I can't think of any. I would trade Ken Walker. You got to strike where the iron's hot there. Um, Brian, you've been big on nicknames uh, lately. Which of the two yeah. trending Tariq woolen nicknames are better avatar or the shadow?
1: Well, I always am. Prefer the names that the the guys in the team come up with. So, awesome. like, I I don't personally love that nickname, but I like that the team came up with it. I think the shadows a cooler nickname, and uh, I, I I enjoy Bri- listening to Brian Baldinger uh, say it with such enthusiasm every week.
3: Um, Jeff, what situation gives us a better team next year? Finishing five and twelve with a top ten pick. Or 10 and seven and making the playoffs as a wild card and losing the first round.
2: I think 10 and 7. I think basically the way this team's winning right now is because of these young players. And yeah, I think finishing in a top 10 pick would be great. But I think if you can guarantee top five, that might be a little different. Cause I think there is a drop-off. But I think the way these guys are playing is sustainable. And I think building momentum and building a culture of winning and carrying it over into the future, and getting these guys playoff reps, I think they're mostly winning because of their rookie class and how good these young guys are. And if, that, if they can win in their first year, I think there will be a lot more to build on them. getting one more top ten pick in the building. And they might be getting that with Denver anyway. So to me, I think if you're going to win and it's not because of shortcuts and it's not because of guys who aren't going to be around in the future – And it's because of the tackles and the corners and some of the young players on defense. And to me, that's as good of a case as possible. That means these guys are going to be a foundation. That's what I said this year was about. It's about finding out who the foundation is. And (laughs) they're a lot further along than I would have imagined by this point.
3: Uh, Jonathan Lule wants to know, will Gino's DUI last season play a role in his price tag? If he, if he faces, discipline from the NFL. Um, no, I don't think that will matter at all. Uh, if you look at what happened with the, uh, the nasty man in Cleveland, um, pretty clear that doesn't really factor a whole lot in team's decision making. Um, Brian Imani Waddell wants to know after leading the defense with the highest PFF grade, can this be a sign of things to come for daryl daryl taylor uh, or was it merely a flash in the pan
1: yeah that's a great one and i'm glad that got brought up because that's a big deal like daryl taylor was a guy coming into this season we talk about jordan brooks and daryl taylor as two of the young players that we really were wanting to see flash and both of them had a very rough start to the season and i think jordan brooks has come back a little bit um been much more consistent daryl taylor I think I saw that from a next gen stats perspective, he had the fastest sack or the second fastest sack of the season on, in the NFL, um, on Sunday against, uh, when he did that strip sack. So look, I, I think the guys seem talented. He had six and a half sacks last year in what was really his rookie year. That's rare, at least for, for pass rushers. It's not easy to get that many sacks, especially as a kind of rotational player so he's he clearly has the talent i'm hoping that this change in approach on the defensive line puts him back to the the track he was on last year so i don't think he stopped having talent i think that they were asking him like to play a lot more on in terms of run defense than he has before and i don't think he's able to hold up to that so i i would say I am optimistic that we will see more pass rush success from Daryl Taylor than we saw for the first five games of the season.
3: Um, okay. Uh Jeff, uh, if Pete Carroll gets us in the playoffs, is he coach of the year? Yeah, I think he has to be. Um, uh, but the only tricky thing is that
2: guy with the Giants right now, they're five and one. And they got like their talent level is barren. And <laughs> it's going to be hard to get a go against the New York team that's shocking the world and say with the Jets, uh, it's going to be hard to shock that voter. But considering where the Seahawks were going to the year, they're like the third lowest Super Bowl odds. And to get Geno Smith comfortable to a level where he's playing like a top 10 quarterback, it would be hard not to have a case for Pete Carroll. But if it wasn't for that New York guy, I'd say with 100% certainty. But yeah, there, there'd be a hell of a case for that for sure.
3: Yeah, I think it's actually tough. Um normally I kind of think he's a slam dunk, but with uh the Giants, um with how I mean the Eagles are undefeated right now. If they end up having an amazing year, that uh he could be one. Um and the Bills with just how utterly dominant they have been. So, I actually think the competition will be surprisingly uh steep. I think you could say the Jets in that are in that boat as
1: yeah. well.
2: Both New York teams.
1: Yeah. Yep. yep. I wonder, though, two related questions to that. One, you know, John Schneider for Executive of the Year. Is there anybody that can really, like, maybe the Jets? The Eagles. The Eagles. Eagles?
2: The Eagles, like, got A.J. Brown, um, Jordan Davis. They did a couple other things. And if they go, like, 50-2 and two or something,
1: would not be surprised if they... That would be such bullshit. I mean, the, the Russ deal by itself is the biggest talent move in the the whole league this year let alone the quality of the draft picks that they got that seems odd to me but i i hear you on how that perception i know i just i've seen
2: people saying roseman for executive the year already i'm with you but they go 15-2 and and they have a really really light schedule i would not be surprised
3: i think the thing that's hard with schneider too is like once you decide to trade russ i mean was another gm going to do that much worse like the Look, thing that hey, probably, his calling I card is probably Gino drafting more than Andrew
1: that. Luck. Like that was executive of the year in 2012. He had the That's number true. one overall That's pick true. and he drafted Andrew Luck. Uh, yeah, I think Schneider had only one team he was allowed to trade to and still managed to get this draft haul. So, and then made the picks. That turned out to be good. So it's hard for me to hold that against him I do think there's an interesting conversation about how much credit do you guys give Pete Carroll versus John Schneider and what's transpired uh
3: I give I mean Pete deserves credit because it's it's never an easy decision to make but I, you know the story seems to be that Schneider had been trying to do this for a little while mm-hmm. and Pete was reticent to it mm-hmm. um so I I lean more credit to Schneider there um but you know pete's like 87 years old and took a big leap uh so you know that <laughs> i guess he had the bigger risk in the whole thing john will be around for a while if he wants to be so um yeah but i give it to john more than pete maybe we should credit mark rogers he might have saved the seahawks franchise that's
2: a
1: great point
2: like if we got russell in like a truth serum situation here in all these years how pete and john were the problem and they're holding back his career. Like, I wonder if he's just like, what the hell? Where he had a pretty good in Seattle legacy-wise, where everyone blamed Pete all these years and mm-hmm. they're holding him back. And no matter how even if he played like shit, it would have been the Seahawks' fault.
3: <laughs> I don't think that's true. I I I don't know. Uh what part of that? That if he was here and he was playing like shit, if he was if he was here and he's playing like he is in Denver, I I don't think people would be rallying. I mean, some people would. I mean, you you they'd have... be
2: like, "Oh, they
1: drafted like shit for years. They don't have an offensive line." I think they'd say both rookie tackles
3: are busts because well, they wouldn't have the a lot they success. wouldn't have
2: one of the rookie tackles. So,
3: That's no, true. I think I I don't know if I buy all this. I I, I don't think I buy this at all. Um, <laughs> okay Okay, fair I mean some of the some of the stuff about look I think people would be extremely angry and I think people would be mad at Pete and and John and for some of the reasons you're talking about right like the years of bad drafting is real um but I I I really don't agree with the idea that like this is just who Russ always has been I mean
1: look at that's that's a little different that's different that's I don't think that's what what I'm saying yeah
3: but I think people are recognizing that this is not, uh, I, I don't think it's just because he's on a different team that people are recognizing that. Hey, you no, know, but I'm saying just from a narrative standpoint, if he played similar to how he's
2: playing now, I think the conversation would be very different. I, I think do. it would be much more anti-Sihaw. And I'm not saying that as like someone who would be like regretful of it. I just remember the conversation last year. I remember what Colin Coward used to say every week in the offseason. And I think it would be
1: super amplified
3: yeah maybe well, Colin Cowherd sure I don't know yeah. at least from my own experience like I went from somebody that was like very much you know they need to do something different they need to get rid of Pete I know he's a good coach and they'll probably do worse but they they have to take a, a chance because they're wasting Russ but like by the end of it all I mean my whole thing was I don't they just need to do something they need to ch- yeah. I, I don't care what it is but one of Russ John or Pete cannot be back next year and so like I don't know maybe I'm biased a little bit because that's just been my perception but i think that people at least seahawk fans would be extremely critical of where russ is right now
1: there would be it it wouldn't be one or the other but i think jeff's right that right now it is it is everyone's like against hackett like everybody (laughs) inside and outside and against i think russ as well so maybe it would just be like that here Mm -hmm. i i think part of it It feels to me, I don't know if you've seen this either with in professional in your work life or parenting or whatever else, but there are people that like just chafe against structure and, and like, you know, feeling like they're in this constrained environment and feel like they need to like go out and prove themselves. And then they get out into the independent, like they get the promotion, they get like, they're running their own business or, you know, they're living on their own. And all of a sudden they're like mommy like (laughs) like they need they needed that structure they actually shined because of the fact that they were in a comfortable environment where they knew all the problems people like they get tired of the same thing over and over again and so they want something different so i'm not even like blaming russ or Mm -hmm. even rogers in this case but i do wonder a little bit like uh, russ got everything he wanted in terms of like control input like all that stuff and his and, reputation around the league was like incredible yeah oh yeah we're back to rest but like anyway i just think from a pete from a pete and john perspective it is interesting and we've talked for years about how do we discern what's pete and what's john and we kind of landed a lot last year on it's pete like pete's ultimately responsible pete approves all like personnel stuff and it's interesting i agree with you nathan i kind of attribute it more to john but that kind of goes against everything we were saying last year about like ultimately it's Pete and it's it's, he's accountable.
2: From what we understand what Nathan said before, they would have traded him to Chicago last year if it was up to John. Right. From all we've heard, we don't have confirmation, but Pete was not ready and Pete probably, when he had to present the trade to Pete and Pete said, no. So from my understanding, I saw Evan say that like Pete blocked the trade to the Browns. That was not true. The Browns actually blocked that trade, but Yeah, I don't know if we should be like saying Pete was the one who was behind this. He's a genius. I think John was the one who scouted Mahomes. He was the one who scouted Josh Allen. I think we could see what, and he was the one who was probably dealing with us. Yeah, and he was the one dealing with Mark Rogers and all the bullshit. So I think that was as part of why he wanted to move on as much as the player stuff. So uh, Pete did make this go ahead to go with this this year. He did take the swing at his age to
1: go with a shot in the dark, but. I think we we all can come to the same conclusion on this one. I think that makes sense, Jeff. Sorry, Nathan, I I, I railroaded. Keep going. No, 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 we're good. Was that all the Patreon questions? Oh yeah, uh, yes. Sorry, uh, oh. that's all the Patreon questions. Awesome. So if you haven't already, please go over to uh, patreon.com dot slash Hawkblog blogger, sign up. Get immediate access to the Slack channel. You can ask us questions next week. We will do it again. So we'd love to have you join. Uh, proceeds go to a great cause. And give the show a like, I would love to have more likes showing up there. Appreciate it and, and subscribe. So, uh, one matchup question, and then we'll see where we go on this Chargers Seahawks conversation. Khalil Mack, right? Uh, game breaker, pass rusher, two related questions for both of you. One, who do you think? Who do you think uh, the chargers will try to match him up against which tackle and who would you have more confidence going up against him of the two
3: rookie tackles and Nathan, I'm going to start with you. Um, my, I don't know how they've been using him. Um, Or, really, I don't know if he's been like a one-side rusher for most of his career, or if he, but I would think you'd want to try to move him around a little bit, um, just to do different things with him. Um, I don't know if that's how they've been doing it at all, but, um, I guess, I guess if I had to pick one or the other, it's, it's really, it's really hard. Um, Cause I still think that cross is the more talented pass protector. Um, but I think Lucas has maybe been a little better this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know, I guess you just take your chances with, with Lucas and and do that. Jeff, how about you?
2: Yeah. I think if they watched the film from last week, they'll probably want to line him up against Lucas. Cause he struggled a little more with power and, Lucas even talked about just lining up against J.J. Watt kind of spooked him a little bit. So, I don't know if I'll see that quote. He said that's why he jumped up, started the game. He said he was a little freaked out at first, but he settled in. Yeah, Lucas is by pass block win rate. And I think it's like top 15 of all tackles in the league. But watching in the last game, he was mostly rushing from that side against the right tackle. Mm -hmm. I think I weirdly have more confidence in Lucas, though, even though he had a down week last week. Cross, I still think has like way more upside as a pass blocker and I think he's still been pretty solid we haven't really seen that huge upside yet and which is totally fair as a rookie tackle but I think he's more prone to get just like beat off the ball and holding penalties and so I almost be a little more nervous if he's going up against the left side but last week it was almost all the right tackle and that was with Garrett Bulls out for the first game so He's had a sack in every game he's played, I think, Mac this year, but I don't specifically know if they move him around and how they run their defense because they don't really have that second rusher right now. They've been getting some good stuff up the middle and doing a lot of blitzing, and they throw in James, but with Bosa out, it's purely him on one side. And, yeah, I think him and Lucas will be end up being those two.
1: Yeah, I to um, me it's pretty clear. If I'm the Chargers, I'm lining him up against Cross if, if, if he has – side flexibility i think lucas lucas did i think impressively against cam jordan who's the closest thing to what we've seen um in in terms of khalil mack from a talent perspective for a pass rusher and i just think lucas has been more solid i don't know about you guys i my, my assessment of charles cross so far is good not a bust like promising uh but he's not he's not like screaming pro bowl left tackle to me yet like he he's he's struggled he's gotten beat here and there uh sometimes a couple times within a game and has seemed a little bit overmatched at times so i'm not down on cross but trajectory wise i'm just not sure like we've seen pro bowl level tackles come in and they look like pro bowl tackles even as rookies And I don't think Cross has done that yet. So I'm kind of curious if he'll like improve over the rest of the year. I think Lucas already looks like a guy that the, the, the mistakes are the exceptions, not, not the, the rule. So. Yeah. Still excited at both of them. And I'm, I'm really curious. I think that's a huge key matchup in this game. I think how Derwin James is used. I think the chargers have done a lot of pretty clever blitzes, well-timed blitzes with their linebackers and other, other players. Um, so Jeff, how do you how do you break down this matchup between the Seahawks and the Chargers? What, what where do you see the advantages for Seattle and and where do you see it for where do you see the advantages for for the Chargers?
2: Uh, I think the Chargers is going to be just on defense, how they blitz and how they attack on defense. You saw them really hunker down on Russell and get a lot of trouble with the way they adjusted. And you saw how Arizona blitzed them last week and how the offensive line just kind of fell through. I think Staley, who's done pretty well against this team historically, I think they're gonna have a good chance to really disrupt what we've been doing um, on offense. And if you saw how easily the pass protection broke down last week against an aggressive blitzer like Vance Joseph, and still some of their skill players are pretty good. But right now, I think the biggest advantage for Seattle is if they can hold the pass pro is they paid a lot of money for JC Jackson, who got benched last game and you saw some downfield shots open up last week with KJ Hamler. and I think this could be a good game for a lock-in Metcalf and coming out of last week where they struggled. I think Seattle has a really good chance because coming into the year, I would have thought like, okay, Justin Herbert, and even two weeks ago, like, I'm like Justin Herbert's going to throw the ball all over these guys. But they got personnel issues right now. And Josh Palmer went into concussion protocol. So that's another receiver. Keenan Allen might not play. And it's really one receiver. If you watch them play on offense, they don't have a lot of speed. And Austin Eckler has been pretty – he's a really good running back. He had one really good game. And Corey Lindsley didn't play last week, so they couldn't run block at all. He'll be back. But it's not the offense where Herbert's going to be throwing the ball. And Herbert's dealing with a significant injury. Mm -hmm. He got a significant rib injury where he's getting pain injections to play every week. So he's not the guy we would have thought. He's been a pretty average player. And they're throwing these – they're just a slow-looking offense. So I think Seattle isn't going to get blown out like I would have thought going up against this team like going into this year i would have given this an automatic loss and now i think it's a pretty close game
1: nathan i I look at this and there's a couple things that jump out to me one mike williams i think is arguably the toughest matchup that the seahawks have had from a receiver's perspective so far this year i mean going to debo samuel as 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 an option but i think the quarterback throwing plays, plays a role in in evaluating so in any event, he's a big, strong, talented receiver. I'm interested to see how they play, like if they try to get him matched up with Mike Jackson versus getting him matched up with Tariq. I'd love to see him go against Tariq and how that goes. That'd be so fun to see and really test Tariq. I think that the, the Gerald Everett matchup is interesting. We've talked about that a little bit. We saw the Chargers run a shit ton of screens, screens to their running back, screens to their tight ends. That has been a huge weak spot for the Seahawks defense. But to Jeff's point, they're also not threatening down the field. So from a defensive game plan perspective, potentially you could really game plan to be ready for that and to 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 really be aggressive to the ball. So, like, this is, I think, the best quarterback the Seahawks have played, uh, even if you account for the injuries. Um, what do you <laughs> think, like, what's what's your guess about how many – how this is going to go from a Seahawks defensive standpoint.
3: Um, I don't know. I would love, love, love to see Tariq follow Mike Williams all over the field. Um, one, because I agree like that would be such a fun matchup. And I think Tariq will kill it. Um, And it's also terrifying to think about him on Mike Jackson a little bit. Uh, right. So like that combination, like I really hope they ask, I mean, I I don't think they will. That's a big thing to ask for him to do, but Mm -hmm. man, that would be fun. Um, and maybe a good idea. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think, uh, this is going to be a big, the, whether Seattle has solved their tackling problems um is probably going to decide this game um if they can't get austin eckler down and if gerald everett is making plays in the open field and i don't know what people's perceptions of everett is like he seems really divisive and polarizing for some reason but yeah. i think he's good and fun yeah um so yeah i mean like i think it's just going to be a combination of like can they tackle and can non-tariq woolen cornerbacks managed to contain Mike Williams. Um, I mean, if they can do those two things, I think they're going to have, uh, a really good chance in this game. Um, I agree, uh, you know, how the chargers will that, that defense and how they try to get after Gino, um, that could be a problem for sure. Um, but I think that even if they're, they like, I don't think they're going to do a whole lot better than the Cardinals did Um, and so, you know, this could be a game that looks kind of like that Cardinals game. I don't don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. I mean, the uh, (laughs) chargers looked really bad. They also
1: faced a very good Broncos defense. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, you you know, Seahawks are not a very good defense. We, I think we can all agree on that offensively. That's the other thing I want to touch on before we get into predictions, like one week of the Seahawks giving up pressure five sacks and Gino not being able to have as much success through the air, you know, the offense scuffling a little bit one week, you know, okay. If they come into this game second week and there's chargers are doing blitzes, Gino's not picking them up. He's not changing protections. He's getting out, out dueled Uh, the offensive tackles, you know, the offensive line has another struggling game. Uh, the offense struggles again. I think the narrative starts to change a little bit for, like, okay, certainly, like, the conversations about the Geno extension start, you know, you start like, well, hold on a second. We think about that a little bit more. So I, I think this is a really crucial game in the narrative aspect of the season. Obviously, it's crucial in terms of trying to get playoff positioning, but I am, I am, it, between. It's hard for me to pick. Like, am I more interested in seeing how the defense is going to play against the Chargers offense or more interested to see how the Seahawks offense is going to play against the Chargers defense? And I think it's the latter. Like, I think I'm more – I will be – even if the Seahawks lose, if the Seahawks offense can put together a strong game, I will be – I wouldn't say satisfied, but I will be much more soothed. If the Seahawks offense looks like shit and we see another game like, like the – Cardinals game last week. You know, the defense does better, but we still we lose eventually. I don't know, man. I like I I am very bullish on this offense and I want to be able to continue to feel that way. I you guys feel differently, Jeff? I know. like I think Gino did better than some people give him credit for. I think he made some really good plays
2: under pressure and he yeah. missed some reads, but I think I know his stats were down Oh, but you're right, Brian, because the next week I think they play Wink Martindale, who's I think blitzes more than anyone in the league, and I think they play the Giants. So if there's two weeks in a row where you can't handle blitzes, then they got to go up against probably the best blitzing coach in the league, or five and one, or it could be six and one. That becomes a really interesting story, but another interesting matchup in this game is Seattle's run game. Uh, The Chargers are pretty terrible against the run. Kenneth Walker was pretty impressive last game. So I'm interested to see, because I think the Seahawks' offense against some of these heavier blitz teams are better when they pass on early downs kind of manage the game for him when they were running in, in obvious running situations last week, they looked terrible. So I'm um, f- interested to see how the offense looks. And last week I, I read a stat today, Arizona's number two in the league and taking away the number one receiver. So maybe I think the way they covered DK and lock was really, especially DK was really impressive. And then they were forced to rely on Fant and Eskeridge and Goodwin and they're still able to get some offense, but that's not the
1: way Seattle needs to win an offense. So it's going to be interesting to see if they can get back to featuring their guys. That that's a big one, and, and then we'll get into predictions here. But the Chargers are a weird pass defense in that like they're they're like 14th dvoa wise, like it's reasonably like middle of the road, but decent. They're eighteenth against number one receivers. They're like second in the league against number two. I think they're uh I want to say like twelve. Twenty. Let me have it right in front of me. Actually, um, twenty seventh against third and and like third and fourth receivers. They're twenty second against tight ends and they're twenty fourth against running backs. So basically, they're good at stopping the second receiver, but they're not good at stopping anybody else passing wise. And D. Eskridge took a step forward in this game, and that's another thing where, from a narrative perspective. If he can take another step forward, could this be a game where D. Eskridge actually, instead of just making a couple of plays, can he break a play? Can he be a like a yard after catch guy that the Seahawks haven't really had this year? That would be <laughs> talk about adding more young players. We were just talking about, you know, can we get Trey Brown back? Like if D. Eskridge can end up being useful, he does not even have to be great. That would be a big part of like just, OK, that's another another part of the foundation. So Super curious to see how that plays out. A lot of good storylines. Um, let's go ahead and do predictions and we'll we'll, uh, we'll move into that. So uh, Nathan, I'm gonna come to you first because uh, I've got to think, this is a tough one. How are you thinking this game's gonna go and what is the final score you're predicting?
3: Uh, I'll go i think seattle is gonna win i just don't know i just don't know what the game looks like um so i'll go for something kind of tame i'll do 27 24 seahawks all right jeff where are you at
2: (laughs) i was thinking about picking the seahawks most of the day but ever since nathan brought up the tackling and the I can't help but think of Gerald Everett running in the middle of the field and how much they use him, how good he is, but yards after catch. And Austin Eckler, he's like a little slippery guy. He's really hard to tackle. So all my pessimism came out immediately. And I think it's going to be a close game. This was not a game I would have thought would have been close three or four weeks ago. Chargers are one of these teams that, like, they kill the draft every year. Their talent level is incredible. And every year they just end up average. It's like the, the most frustrating franchise. So I think it's going to be a closer game. I think the Seahawks are going to be in it, but I think that issue comes up. I say 24, 23 Chargers.
1: Yeah. So I have to mention it for Dana's sake. I am six for six this year in picking the Seahawks games. And I know Dana takes a lot of pride in, in her pick. So I, I have to, I have to flex a little bit there i have gone back and forth on this game and especially without the kicker i think we're going to see two-point conversion tries by the Chargers. i think we could see a weird score Uh, and ultimately see actually i think the seahawks are gonna have to show it to me that they can actually overcome an elite quarterback on the road even an injured one they don't have all their weapons but they have some and so I'm going to say this is going to be, uh, 24, 21 is, is the, is the score I've got, uh, the chargers winning and I would be so happy if my streak is broken. This would be a big win guys. If they beat the chargers on the road, even with the chargers being injured, I think outlook for this season ticks up a little bit. I I think this is a, this would be an impressive win if they're able to, to do it. Um, i'm really fascinated to see how that how that game plays out so with that going to say good night to everybody thank you for coming on please go give the show a like would really appreciate that click subscribe click the bell to get notified when we go live and go over to patreon.com slash get immediate access to the slack channel and you know talk to folks continue the conversation even after this show ends and get ready to ask us questions later We will be here for post-game show on Sunday to cover whatever happens. There's going to be things to talk about. We'll be looking forward to talking to you all then. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, Good night, and uh, go Hawks.